tech innovation reimagines the way that language interpreting services are delivered. Continues this quite rapid evolution of MT as part of these broader AI services. There's definitely a lot of movement. Some of that probably generated from M&A activities in the industry. And welcome everyone to another episode of Slater Pod. Hi there, Esther. Hi, Florian. Today on the pod, we have Brian Forrester, co-founder and CEO of Boost Lingo, the interpreting technology platform. Uh, that was a really interesting discussion, Esther. You missed it, unfortunately, but uh, it was really interesting. And, uh, you know, I really think that Boost Lingo is going to become a real winner here in this interpreting space. So... A uh, quick audio heads up. There's a little bit of crackling. We weren't able to get rid of it, uh, but still very interesting discussion, of course. I hope it's not too distracting. And, uh, you know, otherwise you can just head over and check the subtitle on YouTube. I'll do that. I will do that. And I'll listen to, I'll listen intently to what uh, Brian talks about. Very good. C cool company. They bought those, you know, they bought, uh, bought uh, Voice Boxer and Interpreter Intelligence and these kind of outlining how they're going to uh, kind of integrate and yeah. what kind of capabilities it provides them. So they're really becoming a quite, a quite a comprehensive interpreting platform. Very interesting. Today though, you're going to tell us more about the job index. Uh, we're going to, I'm trying to wrap my head around the Microsoft Translate update, uh, or Microsoft yeah. Translator update, sorry. Uh, we're going to talk about Japan and machine translation as well and keywords in game localization. But first, is it a good time to find a job in the language industry, Esther? Always. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I'd say so. Why not? Um, if for those, well, for those who are already working in the industry, for sure, um, it's you know very buoyant in terms of uh, jobs being advertised. Um, our index for April, uh, which we've just crunched the numbers, so that's up just over two points from March to uh, around one hundred and seventy nine. Um, so that's continued to climb since the start of the year in January, up, up six points since the start of the year. And the index is currently at uh, just two points off the all-time high that we saw in December 2021. Okay. Um, so normally there's a bit of a seasonal slowdown around kind of January, and then it kind of climbs, climbs, climbs throughout the year. Um, so we're look, it looks like, you know, 2022 is off to the same kind of uh, start in terms of following that trend. It's interesting that I've spoken to a, a number of people recently uh, that are based in the, the United States and that quote unquote great resignation was mm. an actual topic and a challenge, like an operational challenge, meaning people resign, do other things uh, during the COVID, you know, pandemic, they, uh, you know, had kind of maybe discovered other interests or just generally there's just a very kind of buoyant job market generally. So it's actually a, a bit of a struggle to find highly qualified candidates. That's, you know, why we're seeing the, um, the, the index go up so strongly. I don't think this is that much of an issue in Europe, at least not here. Yeah, no, potentially not. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of movement just sort of personally on my LinkedIn, you know, kind of uh, congratulate so-and-so for a new role at blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of movement. Um, some of that probably generated from M&A um, activities in the industry, but obviously equally just a lot of opportunities, both um, on the buy or client side and within uh, LSPs. Just from a kind of LSP operational aspect, I haven't heard many European LSPs tell me that they're struggling that they're kind of, that there's a massive struggle ongoing with re 
and retain, I guess. Retain is the, the key uh, word here. Uh, I mean, generally, of course, talent's always hard to, to come by. All right, now let me try to unpack what Microsoft announced this week, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but you know, anybody that's interested in the detail, please Google Microsoft Translator Enhanced with Z Code Mixture of Expert Models. So mm. I don't pretend to understand what this all means in detail, but I think Microsoft is now launching um, or giving early access rather to uh, to some select customers to a um, re-engineered uh, what I think is a massive multilingual MT system that can do, uh, I mean, obviously they they promised like a quality improvement, um, mm -hmm. and just general, uh, general improvement of, uh, language coverage, et cetera. But what I find more interesting than the details of this, this announcement or just the, the general uh, suite here is that they're. The translator, uh, Microsoft Translator is part of this kind of broader Microsoft Azure cognitive services suite, and they continue to launch new features, continue to launch, uh, updates, further customization, improvements. And you can see that there's just a lot of work going on at Microsoft. And of course, also at these other big tech companies to make MT more customizable and just more accessible to the enterprise rather than just a kind of a raw output, right? Mm. So I think this is the takeaway from this particular announcement now as well, that there just continues this quite rapid evolution of MT as part of these broader AI services, right? Mm. So I think we should just be um, aware of this and, and, and LSPs should be very much aware of this and just follow it, even though you might get kind of tired by all these, you know, announcements by Meta, by Google, by Microsoft, by, you know, Salesforce, by all mm -hmm. of these um, big technology companies. But I think you got to keep an eye on it. I mean, it is having an impact generally on kind of the tech layer of, of the industry. We spoke about Allowed last week, the, the Google project, right? So as these things get productized, uh, some of them actually may become direct competitors to the language service providers. But for now, do you think do you think that they is actually a useful thing for LSPs? Like, can LSPs just kind of take this, build it, use it, like integrate it into their existing sort of machine translation? I don't know, stack engines suite. I think we need an expert on this <laughs> okay. to bring on a No, I'm serious. Like, the question is almost like. If you're an established LSP, you do your 20, 30, $40 million in revenue, you have everything set up. Okay, more complex. What if you started an LSP today? Like how mm. would you build it today? Would you, you know, make it as complex as maybe some of these existing larger organizations run? Or would you just plug into some of these models and try to train them? So I think that's a question we should explore, but um, it's still in another, not, not today. Uh, staying on the machine translation topic, it's interesting, uh, an, an interesting small piece of news came out of Japan. So the, let me try to get that right. So the Japanese Financial Services Authority worked together with the National Institute of Information and Communications Technology, the NICT, to develop a custom English into Japanese, Japanese into English, uh, MT engine for financial content that they're now making available to private companies. And 
the goal of this is really, um, or this is one small puzzle piece in the broader, well, puzzle or the broader picture of opening up and, well, not opening up, making Japan's internet, uh, financial markets more international. What does this mean? Uh, you know, if, if you want to invest in, in the Japanese stock markets, there's probably not too much information currently accessible in English. Uh, so you have to kind of go through all of the disclosures and filings in, uh, in Japanese, which is, uh, which is a challenge, right? If you're kind of an international investor, you don't have a presence in, in Japan. So in order to make it more accessible for outside investors, part of this is that translation initiative. And of course, they're all trying to do this more efficiently using MT. So they, um, they say they jointly developed a high, what they call high precision AI based translation engine that can translate documents in the financial space between Japanese and English. They collected a large quantity of bilingual documents from a variety of stakeholders, which they then used to train. Um, and they said they got, hang on, they contributed to improving the percentage of highest quality translations from 20 to 50% comparing to a kind of general, what they call general purpose translation engine. So, all right, you take, I don't know, a financial disclosure document, sticking it to Google Translate, they say 21% was professional level, so human professional level. Now they trained that engine and now they're saying, well, after training it, we got 49% was at the professional uh, level. Still, 15% was fluent, 18% was not fluent, 6% was understandable, and 12% was no bueno. They call it <laughs> no, no good in their chart. Um, but yeah, very interesting. I, I, I think yeah. it's an interesting move. It's an interesting kind of private public partnership where, you know, an authority would team up with a research institute, develop a custom MT engine for a very specific purpose, and then make it accessible to private sector companies. So yeah. that is something that, you know, potentially others will follow at some point in the future. All right, Very now good. let's go to the world of game localization where we all know machine translation is part of it, but not a huge part of it. Well, yeah, funny you say that. Um, so we're going to talk about keywords uh, and their update or fi sort of finalized uh, financial results for 2021. Um, but yeah, just since you mentioned machine translation, um, they did mention that they launched um, an MT management platform. Um, so this is called Kantan Stream um, from obviously their acquisition of Kantan, people might remember. Um, so they, in 2021, Keywords launched a crowdsourced MT management platform, they call it, that obviously combines the AI component, that being machine translation, with uh, Keywords professional translator, pre professional translators, so sort of human in the loop model by the sounds of it with some kind of crowdsourced component. Um, so yeah, I thought I'd lead with that since you mentioned uh, machine translation. Kantan Stream. Who comes up with these names? Why not, why not call it something more simple? Hand-hand stream. For streamers, streaming, I don't know. Uh, flow of content, maybe. Anyway, I'm not there to defend their sort of product name choices and I doubt I could do any better. Um, yeah, so in terms of the actual numbers and financial updates, um, I mean, keywords did slightly better than they were forecasting. Uh, I think in December, they said uh, they were expecting top line revenues of about 505 um, million euros. That's slightly improved in the finalized results to 512 million euros. So that's about $570 million. Um, 
lots of growth. So about 37% um, increase from 2020 on an overall revenue basis. And about nearly 20% of that was organic. So strong growth happening there at, at keywords. Um, revenue growth generally, as they sort of continue to say, is being supported by a buoyant video games industry. Uh, but of course, what we are mostly interested in is those localization revenues, because of course, keywords does other activities uh, like sort of marketing, art development, uh, game development, a variety of sort of different game associated uh, services. But they have three service lines that focus on localization, localization activities. Uh, you'll re remember that we had the, uh, the head of the audio uh, localization department join us on uh, Statepod not too long ago um, to talk about all things audio localization. But um, so they have a, a department that they call localization um, that represents about 10% of the company revenue. So just over 50 million euros. Then there's the audio um, service line that, that does things like uh, subtitling, dubbing, uh, voiceover and some what we would probably consider non-lock stuff. So music, um, for example. Um, yeah, <laughs> music, which is nice for a game. Um, but that, yeah, I think I said 12% of revenue coming from audio. Um, so that's the biggest of the three localization-focused divisions. Audio also grew the fastest of the three localization departments um, at, at around 30%. So lots of growth happening there. Uh, and localization testing, uh, which is a smaller, smaller segment. So 5.3% of the total revenue just over 27 million euros. So in total, if you kind of combine all three of those um, divisions or service lines, there's around $150 million, if not more, of um, localization re revenue happening there at, uh, at Keywords. So busy times for Alessandra, the head of the audio uh, department. Interesting. Yeah, there, I mean, there were a few other tidbits as well. Tell us more. Did we find anything about their kind of media aspirations or? Yeah, I mean, they're talking, obviously, I think the keyword said for a, a while now, if not more than sort of 18 months, two yeah. years, they've been working with clients like Netflix um, on the streaming side. So actually sort of pursuing a bit more of the film and TV industry rather than um, sort of pure focus on the video games market. Um, so that kind of, portion of the market is being serviced i think primarily from the audio um, service line uh, they said there's continued growth in subtitling dubbing of film and tv content where we serve clients such as netflix um, as well as many of the other key streaming providers so they're saying um, you know the other streaming providers have invested heavily now in original content strategy which we know we've talked about many times um, and that is helping to drive i mean demand for keywords so keywords is now pretty much you know playing in this tv streaming market um, by the sounds of things and benefiting from from the same um, drivers of growth as other media localization providers um, also got it that wraps up um keywords and that wraps up the new segment so we're heading over to brian and we'll talk about interpreting technology Fascinating discussion. Stay tuned.
and welcome back to SlaterPod, everyone. Today, we are really happy to have Brian Forrester join us today. So Brian is the CEO of Boost Lingo, a company everybody knows, a US-based interpreting software and tech company. So we'll speak about Brian's uh, past busy weeks. He's had a few busy weeks recently and super happy to have you on the pod today. Uh, hi, Brian. Hi, Florian. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for doing this. So you're in uh, in Austin, Texas today, or? I am in Austin, Texas, yes. Uh, you know, a, a, a Bay Area transplant, as they say out here. Uh, a lot of a lot of Californians moving out. So, I, I think I'm trying to hide the fact that I'm a Californian to the the community at large. So, I don't have that stigma attached to me. Or oh, there's stigmas already being attached to Californians. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, maybe below the surface, a little. It's just a little subtle, but you know, you can sense it. There's so many Californians out there. It's great here. It's crazy. That's what that's what I've heard in all these podcasts, and you know, a lot of people going to going to Austin specifically. So uh, when when did you move and when did the company move? I personally moved uh, in the middle of the pandemic. You know, uh, it was, we actually moved January 1st, 2021, um, kick off the new year, uh, packed up the U-Haul and moved. We had already had, uh, we already had hired a few people out in Austin. So we already had an employee base here. But my, uh, my wife is from Austin originally. So we had always talked about moving back here and it just made sense um you know in the middle of the pandemic with kids not in school um i think we uh we decided uh, it was time for a change well then at least you have an anchor and angle to go to austin right it wasn't just kind of oh every everyone's on twitter's go uh, on twitter's going to austin so let me go too <laughs> i wasn't just following the trend yeah <laughs> there you go all right, let's talk about Boost Lingo. Uh, and and first, you know, we we'd like when we when we do this podcast get get started. We kind of the origin story. Uh, yours is quite uh, you know recent, right? I think you you guys started in like September 2016. So if that's correct, so let, take us back to the origin story. How you met the founders, uh, co-founders, and like uh, yeah, what what was the original idea? Well, the two co-founders, Brian D'Agostino and Dieter, I had known prior. We were uh, friends uh, before Boost Lingo started. Um, Booslingo was not my first tech startup that I co-founded. In fact, my last company that I sold was in the IT services space in the MSP channel. Um, and I was coming out of sort of a, an earnout period from that, that acquisition and, you know, getting the startup itch again, um, when Dieter and Brian approached me with this idea, um, you know, in the interpreting space and, and Dieter had been working for language service companies for the last, I think at the time over a decade. Uh, so he saw a real big opportunity in interpreting. And of course, um, you know, uh, it piqued my interest. We we started looking at the competitive landscape as you would do when you start um, thinking about uh, launching a company. And uh, we saw some really big, impressive companies that uh, in a really large market uh, with an opportunity uh, to innovate in technology. Um, and so, you know, we started doing industry surveys and luckily got a lot of validating responses to those surveys. and and it, it, all the uh, check boxes uh, were getting checked uh, that you would look look for when when you want to green light a project, and so we started the business in early 2016. Um, and yeah, uh, that that's how the origins came to be. Uh, just like most startups, the first couple of years were developers in a dark room coding, <laughs> uh, and but we uh, launched our first production product in late 2017, early 2018. And it's evolved uh, ever since, of course, like you, you have, I think, three core systems and it tells a bit more about that, but the delivery platform, the interpreting management system and scheduling system. So 
tell us more about kind of the core technology offering and then also just if there, if you provide any services what's kind of the key usp that you you give the salespeople when they go out there and and, and uh you know do some business development just kind of introduce the company and, and and the key usp a little bit to the listeners yeah sure you know from you're right florian we we've pivoted you know 20 times in the early years on, on our, our go-to-market focus and uh, learned a lot early on as you would uh when when you start uh a, a a startup. <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, Pusliga's mission has always been pretty constant, though, despite all those pivots, right? Uh, you know, Pusliga Tech Innovation reimagines uh, the way that language interpreting services are delivered, and that increases um, language access and improves communication globally. So that's always been sort of the mission of our company uh, is to more uh, a tech platform first, right? But the value proposition, you're right. We do a lot of different things, especially in light of these new acquisitions. But uh, we are a comprehensive, what we call IMS system, um, interpretation management system, um, mainly for LSPs, language agencies, to scale their interpreting business. Uh, and interpreting, as you know, Florian, is a lot of different use cases, <laughs> a lot of different modalities. Um, you know, and, and so our platform really is aimed at covering uh, scheduling for in-person interpreting, so managing the workflows from beginning to end for scheduling uh, in-person jobs. Um, and as you know, a lot of language agencies do a high volume of in-person interpreting. And, you know, uh, we found back in 2016, 2017, a lot of them were still doing it through spreadsheets. It wasn't scalable. They needed a, a better platform to manage that workflow. And then on top of that, it, we are in uh, a pre-scheduled phone and video platform. So in certain use cases, you're not using on-demand phone and video. You're pre-scheduling phone and video calls, just like we would pre-schedule a Zoom call or our podcast today, right? It's a pre-scheduled event. And sometimes there's reasons that you would have a pre-scheduled event versus an on-demand modality. And then, of course, um, on-demand interpreting, which has been growing rapidly even before the pandemic rolled on the scene, but on-demand OPI and VRI. Um, and, and we think of our platform as a management system first. So a lot of LSPs use us almost like best way to describe it is a CRM platform, right? They can manage all their customers through a single interface. It's multi-tenant. Uh, they can manage all their, their customers in one UI. But on top of that, we're what we call an IDP. And we use a lot of acronyms here. And I think a lot of your viewers will know what those acronyms mean, but others may not. IDP just standing for a delivery platform. So our LSPs don't just use us to manage their interpreting business, but to deliver the service to their customers. And, and they can white label the platform uh, and go to market. And, and one other big key component to our value proposition is our BPIN. Uh, that's just short for Boostlingo Professional Interpreter Network or our crowd. And a lot of our LSPs leverage that crowd um, for on-demand services so that they can scale their on-demand services, but they may not be able to cover 200 languages 24 seven online because you know with on demand it's all about supply and demand so you've got to have the interpreters on on the line to take the calls that your customers need the the uh bpin allows them to to do that got it and quite unusually for a a startup slash tech company you did two m a two acquisitions you announced uh, a week ago or even less than a week ago so you acquired voice boxer and interpret intelligence so tell us more about that that's uh that's exciting yeah, super excited uh, about these acquisitions. And <laughs> you're right, the last three or four weeks have been very busy here at Boostlingo HQ. 
you know, each of these companies respectively bring a lot to the table for Boost Lingo. With Interpreter Intelligence, we're uh, acquiring a platform that has a lot of over overlap with Boost Lingo. So there's a lot of the same, um, you know, uh, in a way, there's a little bit of a competitive overlap um, with Interpreter Intelligence because they do scheduling for in-person in their platform. We do scheduling for in-person uh, in our platform, and we both have similar uh, LSP customers, right? But what we we learned early on from Interpreter Intelligence um, and their team is that they had gone deeper in terms of customization for in-person scheduling. They had uh, really robust reporting um, for in-person interpreting. Uh, they had better vendor management for uh, managing the linguists themselves. Um, and uh, that those customizations, uh, you know, weren't a focus of our dev team because a lot of our customers are asking us to continue to innovate on the phone and video side. Um, and so when we would get requests for continuing to enhance our in-person scheduling, um, as much as we wanted to work on that, it would always kind of fall uh, down the roadmap priority list. But that didn't mean we didn't care about it and, and we didn't want to continue to improve on it. And so what interpret, interpreter intelligence IP brings to Boost Lingo is uh, a lot of valuable IP as it relates to managing linguists and managing in-person scheduling. Not to mention, I've known Connor, the CEO of Interpreter Intelligence, for a long time. He's um, a, a really committed um, leader um, and uh, a really talented uh, developer himself, but also a, a development leader. And I think he was um, looking at Boost Lingo, not to put words in his mouth, but he, you know, was ready to focus more on the dev side and and um, hang in the CEO, hang up the CEO hat, and, and he, you know, he shared my vision that one plus one equals three in this scenario. So really buying II for uh, the team and the IP. Uh, Voiceboxer, very different type of acquisition, right? Because Voiceboxer is focused on RSI, remote simultaneous interpreting, um, which is not something Duslingo does uh, or did prior to the acquisition. So the IP is truly a, a new module in Boost Lingo, if you think about it. Um, uh, and so that IP was very valuable to us because we looked at that market, if you've been paying attention to the um, private equity environment around RSI, there's been a lot of investments lately um, with Voiceboxers competitors. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, more of these events are, are happening virtual or they're happening in a hybrid type of model. Um, and so we knew uh, that was an, uh, a market we wanted to get into, and and we didn't want to, we didn't have the focus to build it ourselves, and we knew it would take a long time if we tried. And and getting to know Sergio and his team has been, been awesome. We also know that the Voice Boxer team, being in Copenhagen, um, will help us have a better presence in EMEA, uh, where RSI is is very popular. I would argue even more prevalent than in in any other region in the globe. Of course, we see RSI growing in the United States and in Asia Pac, but uh, just getting, um, you know, that team in Copenhagen um, with a, an amazing platform, and they have some really cool features that none of the RSI providers um, have built, or or maybe they are building, but they don't have them yet. So, uh, just overall, both of the acquisitions together, uh, we think will round out sort of this this comprehensive unified platform that we're trying to build. So you mentioned private equity, and you you received funding from uh, an investment firm called Mail Mainsail Partners. So 
What was first, the desire to do M&A or doing the raise and then having the opportunity to do M&A or what was the sequence there? Like, tell us more about how you partnered up with Mainsail and, uh, you know, what's the story there? Yeah, you know, early on in startups, you're you're often worried about what you're going to do tomorrow. <laughs> you know, every, everything is chaotic. It's sort of like the wild, wild west. Um, and then as you start to get bigger, as you start to scale, um, you, you start to to, to plan farther ahead, you know, and even going into 2021, we did not have any intention of raising money. Um, we were trending towards profitability where, you know, um, the business was growing rapidly. Um, my kind of early seed investors were, were asking, why would we even take money at this point? You know, things are, things are going really well. But when I started to really um, look at, you know, what investments we needed to make to really scale the business to the next level and talking to our management team about it at the time, it became really apparent that uh, we couldn't scale as fast as we needed to scale um, without getting a partner on board. And uh, Booslingo had uh, many um, firms contact us and were interested in, in making an investment, but Mainsail um, really had a compelling case. You know, they, they have a strong background in, in building sales and marketing machines. Um, and, you know, I'd gotten to know the main sale investors uh, really well uh, for the six months leading up to the, to the deal and ultimately decided to go with them. And, and what that's allowed to do, allowed us to do is really um, hire, uh, you know, a lot of executive leadership that we wouldn't have been able to hire, um, you know, so we added a lot of cash on our balance sheet. And then it's also, of course, as you mentioned, help us uh, acquire these two companies. So uh, when we when we took the investment with Mainsail, we knew we might want to do some M&A, but we didn't have any specific targets in mind at the time. Uh, it was really just to help the business uh, scale to the next stage. Are they quite active in kind of not maybe day-to-day -day operations, but just general support? You mentioned sales and marketing there. Like, or can you just tap into their expertise and network when it's needed, or is it a very proactive approach? Well, you know, they. Are, I would say that they are very hands-on where we need them to be um, and hands-off where we don't, you know, and that's really what you want in an investment partner. Um, they have, I, I joke with them internally because oftentimes I'm, um, I'm amazed that they know more about some, some aspects of the market than I do, right? They, they have a lot of um, uh, research prowess going on behind the scenes. And that means they can help us do um, you know, different studies behind the scenes to understand if we're making the right decision in terms of our go-to-market strategy or ter terms of our product roadmap strategy. So they do help us um, uh, and get involved where we ask them to. Got it. Let's talk about that market. So kind of maybe, I don't know if it makes sense to um, split it between the U.S. and EMEA, but like if you, let's say we did split it between the U.S. and EMEA, what, what are some of the key drivers in the U.S. market and some of the key drivers in kind of the uh, EMEA market for you guys? Yeah, well, you know, I think in the U.S. market, uh, remote interpreting, especially consecutive interpreting, has been growing rapidly, even, like I said, prior to COVID rolling up on the scene. Um, you know, we, the U.S. is an interesting market, right? First of all, you have a privatized healthcare market, but there's this compliance overhead that requires healthcare organizations to provide interpreting services in most cases. So uh, if they're taking government subsidies, for example. And, and what that's done is driven a massive market in interpreting, especially remote interpreting, because 
as bandwidth, uh, even in rural areas, has gotten better over time, um, it's much more economical to get a video interpreter than have an interpreter go on site. Of course, having an on-site interpreter is always going to be the most qualitative, uh, the best qualitative experience you're going to have. But in a lot of cases, it doesn't make sense, especially if it's just a 15-minute or a 20-minute doctor consultation. So it really depends on the use case. But but because of this compliance overhead, right, um, there's hundreds of thousands of medical entities that our partners can sell to. Um, and so that's been a huge driver in the U.S., and it continues to be. Um, we still view it as a greenfield market. Um, we also we also see huge opportunities in legal and in education and in the public sector in consecutive interpreting. And then as these events become more and more hybrid and remote, um, because of the pandemic, we see RSI growing a lot in the US as well. But consecutive is still by far the largest in terms of the revenue pie in the United States, right? It's very different in, in Europe. Um, you know, I was amazed when I went to the um, uh, to a conference in Munich, uh, you know, three years ago, and I saw five booths for RSI technology vendors. And I remember looking at my um, colleague at the time and saying, you would never see this in a U.S. trade show. You know, what? what's the difference here? And it, because of how unique the European market is, and you have all these countries with different languages kind of jammed together on a continent, um, and, you know, what it allows for is more and more event-based interaction where it's multilingual meetings. It's not just one language you need, but multiple languages that you need on these meetings. Of course, that's led to a proliferation of, uh, you know, RSI technology on the European continent. Um, and now we see it growing, of course, like I said, in other regions. Whereas, you know, the dichotomy there is that the the consecutive market in Europe is actually much younger. It's much more green. Um, we actually view that as a huge opportunity because what happened in the U.S. with healthcare, what happened in the U.S. with these different vertical markets I talked about is starting to happen in Europe and, and in Asia Pacific uh, as well, and including LATAM. Um, I mean, we see it in all regions. We see the opportunity. Um, so it's sort of, uh, it's, it, it's the differences in the U.S. I view it as more consecutive with growing RSI, and in Europe I view it as more RSI with growing consecutive. If that makes sense, does make sense. And you you mentioned language like the you know basically multilingual RSI events in Europe. How does language combos matter for you for the platform for the scheduling? Are you like completely language agnostic in a sense, or like if it's Spanish, English, English, Spanish, it's still a lot easier than if it's some. Um, like, I don't know, uh, low resource language for, to use a kind of a more technical term there. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about on-demand services and, and language support, right, it, it, there's economies of scale, uh, and, and more volume helps cover what you're describing as the longer tail, um, languages, certainly Spanish and at least in the U S market is, you know, uh, over 40% of the volume that goes through our platform. So it, it is. Uh, as you would expect, right? Intuitively, the the most common language, but Boostlingo is servicing over 220 languages on demand, uh, and 24/7. Uh, you know, and so those languages that was hard to do early on. You know, when you're doing a low volume of calls, it's hard to support those uh, lower. Uh, you know, the the diffuse uh, 
languages because it they're only getting called once a week. Of course, now um, they're getting called. Even the the rarer languages are getting called a lot. And and Pusilingo, you know, we don't hire interpreters ourselves. Um, we don't view ourselves as a service provider in that way. We're a technology hub uh, that's connecting LSP labor pools together. And so um, we are routing calls to other language service providers. We call that our BPIN. Uh, and so uh, it's been e easier for them to staff those languages as our vol the volume to our platform has, has grown. But there's literally no language-related challenge i mean let's apart from the availability component that is that the only language related kind of challenge on the platform other than that technically or i, I don't know i mean there, there's nothing else right well i i think there is when you start thinking about a couple different things right so you get a couple different language pairs that don't include english and you start talking about you need an interpreter from turkish to russian or you need an interpreter from french to spanish right english is not part of that language pair that is a significant challenge because when you start thinking about, you know, when we say we support 220 languages, that's to and from English. What a, but when you start thinking about the amount of language pairs you can have when you don't involve English, it's exponential, right? And you, you could have literally hundreds of thousands of language pairs. That's the challenge. And that's what we're trying to build eventually is a global network that can support uh, all these different regions that may not need English in the language. So that's a long-term challenge for us. The other thing I would say is we, we do a lot of American sign language through our platform. And of course, spoken language and sign language are, are really two different animals in a lot of ways, right? They have different compliance uh, regulations and overheads. Um, they're managed by different organizations. Um, and the needs of our LSP partners that do a lot of L ASL are, are um, very distinct from our spoken word LSPs. So that's another challenge in language when you're trying to build a platform that can both help the um, you know uh, language providers that are, are providing spoken language services um, versus helping the deaf community. And so, so you know, and then of course now a lot of LSPs are are doing both, right? So it's it's an education on teaching them how to support both. Walk us through some of the technical challenges uh, with video remote, let's say the, the consecutive variant, and then now, you know, that, that you're in the RSI business, maybe you're also caring about latency and all these, these types of things. So to walk us through some of the technical issues there that you need to solve and still need to solve for right now. Yeah, I think, um, well, number one, we, you know, the acquisitions are just a few weeks behind us. So we're learning about more and more about some of the technical challenges in, in providing RSI. Um, but, you know, what's clear is that bandwidth has always been, um, you know, a, a challenge uh, and, and it's getting better, right? Across the globe, there's no question about it. Bandwidth is getting better. I think part of the challenge also, when you think about, um, you talk about latency, jitter, those types of QoS metrics you'd want to keep track of, especially in a high profile event, right? You've got 20 interpreters logging in. Um, you've got a thousand participants on the, on the call. Uh, stakes are high, right? And if it's a hybrid event, you have the challenge of having potentially a local area network. So what I mean by hybrid is a lot of people are at the event, but the interpreters are not, and other people are logging in remotely. Uh, something I think Slater's probably very familiar with, right? That kind of format. Um, and so uh, the challenge there, of course, is getting a you know a, a good experience for the people that are on site that need those interpreting resources. They might be on a, a land that's 
got firewall permission issues or, you know, depending on where, where you are in the exhibitor floor, the, the internet may not be as good um, and, and versus the, the attendees that are, are remote and making sure that everybody has a, 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 an equal experience. And I think one thing Voicebox has done really well is coming up with really innovative and creative solutions to solve that hybrid scenario. And then, of course, with, with what we do in our core business, um, you know, in, in phone and video, video is, you know, has always been a little bit of a challenge because um, it's, it's much easier to, to do a, 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 an audio call. The bandwidth requirements are much lower. Um, you don't need um, to worry about what kind of webcam somebody's using, <laughs> you know, and um, uh, on, on the interpreter side, you don't have to worry about them, you know, being in a private setting and being um, dressed professionally. So all those kind of things uh, are challenges with video. But what we've seen just even in the last four years is that video has just gotten so much better, um, you know, through our platform. A lot of that has to do with with bandwidth just naturally getting better over time. A lot of it has to do with uh, the video SDKs we write to uh, over the cloud. Um, you know, the codecs we use, it, it just becomes more, it, it negotiates bandwidth better. So you got a higher definition video feed uh, with less bandwidth requirements. Probably, uh, you said before, dress professionally. I mean, people are so much more ready now in front of their cameras and screens and their, you know, <laughs> their uh, their backlights and all of that, you know, so probably helps as well. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a login to video world we live in. <laughs> um, and, and so I think you're right. You know, as I always tell people, our business is growing uh, fast before the pandemic, but without question... Um, the pandemic um, poured some fuel on the trend line of remote interpreting, right? Poured fuel on the fire there because um, turns out it's good to have a remote platform when everybody's working remote. Indeed. Um, let's go to another topic, also tech, but kind of more future gazing tech. Are you following what's going on in kind of speech to speech machine translation or whatever you call it, speech to speech translation at all? Is that something that's at all on your radar? Cause like those big tech companies, Meta, Google, et cetera. I mean, they're all uh, working on solutions there or like semi automated solutions or, you know, just what are your, what are your thoughts around, around that? Well, first of all, yeah, we, we do keep an eye on it, of course. And, and the technology is really incredible. What, what you know, just in the last five or six years, the advancements made in sort of speech to text, not just from the big guys. I've seen a lot of the, the smaller uh, startups uh, create some really amazing um, products. And so we, we view AI as, as a component of uh, language interpreting, and, and it's going to continue to be, especially in certain use cases, right? But fundamentally, Boostlingo believes that interpreting is a human experience. Um, there's a reason video interpreting is growing so rapidly. Um, compared to audio interpreting. Um, people want eye contact. They want visual cues. They want to see a human. And there's such a deep emotional component to interpreting. Um, you know, you think about all the nuance of language, slang, um, sarcasm, all of those types of things that machines are going to have a really hard time with, even in our view, five, 10 years down the road. And the need to connect with the human when you're having uh, really in-depth conversations about your uh, chemotherapy or the treatments you need for for your um, you know your kids uh, with your doctor. 
it, it, it's a lot more than just being able to do speech to text, right? When we think about interpreting as a whole, that being said, there's a lot of consumer use cases, um, where AI plays a huge role, right? Um, Florian, you, you travel to Japan and you want to order, uh, some sushi rolls at the restaurant, you know, from the waiter, it's a couple sentences. You can bust out your Google translate or whatever other app. And it's going to be much better than it was six or seven years ago. I can tell you that. And we're even building in some AI and machine learning components into our workflows and to our call workflows. So even though the interpreting is happening with a human, um, we're building in more of that AI technology into our platform. And so, yes, we keep an eye on it. It's, it's really cool tech to, to look at. And we think it's going to be more and more prevalent for certain types of use cases. Um, but we, you know, I, I do joke with people that, uh, humans will still be used for interpreting long after every car on the road is driving itself. Um, and, and because we just think that it's, it's such a hard profession to automate. I mean, because of the complexities of the job. That's a specific forecast. We shall check back into, uh, in five years down the line. <laughs> so. Let's talk about the tech roadmap. You mentioned a few things that you're going to build into the platform. What's what's on the roadmap for the next two to three years? Also, of course, now that you have some integration work to do, but is there anything specific you, you can already mention? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with the integration work. A lot of work ahead of us in 22, um, you know, integrating Voice Boxer and, and II into the Boostlingo core platform. We, we also, uh, integration in general is a big theme for us. We're pursuing large integration products with, uh, projects with EMR, EHR vendors. Um, you know, we have an open API and an, and an SDK that developers can build on. Uh, we're also um, building in, um, integration projects with, uh, you know, different uh, telehealth platforms, um, and, you know, and not just in the U.S., abroad as well. We're also building training software so that LSPs that have training um, programs for, LS, uh, for their interpreters can actually leverage Boost Lingo to facilitate those training um, jobs. And then, of course, uh, just working on all features that our, our LSP partners are asking for um, to enhance their experience and give them the features that they need to support their customers. Uh, and that could mean integration with backend. You know, we already integrate with QuickBooks. We already integrate with Stripe. But what else do we need to integrate with that our, our partners uh, use commonly? So those are all really important themes that we're focused on in, in 22 and, and frankly into 23. Um, and then, yeah, some, some other big things are coming down the road that can't quite speak to yet, but, um, you know, excited to talk about our product roadmap, uh, as it evolves. We'll, we'll get you back on the pod. So in terms of building the company and, and like next steps, I mean, where do you see this in, in five, 10 years? If that's too long of a framework, maybe whatever framework you, or time frame you pick, um, you know, they're in the LSP in the kind of the more traditional LSP world, a lot, a lot would like, I don't know, exit the private equity and, or maybe just sell to a bigger player, but you guys seem to be very much in a building mode. Is that a correct assumption? And like, what's your time frame there to, I don't know, IPO or next round or something. Right. I, I mean, I think, um, the short answer is YTD. Uh, you know, right now we're focused on uh, building the best unified platform for language service providers, um, you know, uh, and, and remaining, you know, continuing to innovate to stay ahead of competitors and also 
you know, understanding the market trends, expanding internationally, you know, that's a huge uh, focus of our business right now because uh, a lot of our revenue is concentrated in the U.S. So we, we're we're expanding internationally. Already made a lot of progress there, uh, but really excited about these new markets, right? These emerging markets. I think interpreting in general is going to continue to grow rapidly, um, but technology is going to play a bigger and bigger role. Uh, you know, and and there's that that saying uh, I think it was from DS Interpretation a long time ago that um, in, interpreters are not going to be replaced by technology. Interpreters that don't know how to use technology will be replaced, and and that's I think that really rings true. Uh, and remote interpreting is going to be a huge. Uh, a growth engine um, for the language industry in general. I think if you look across all the different services that are under the umbrella of the language industry, remote interpreting has got to be one of the fastest growing of all of them, um, especially in the emerging markets where there's you know even better bandwidth that's um, you know and, and better infrastructure that's being built. So it's just a huge opportunity in these markets and and having the ability to to provide all the different modalities of interpreting is huge. And I think it's worth saying that that big platforms like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, and they're going to play a role in this too, right? Um, uh, they're too uh, widespread, ubiquitous uh, not to, right? And so I think a challenge for not just Boostlingo, but other um, competitors of ours is how do you work well with those different platforms, um, you know, and, and, you know, otherwise you're probably leaving some money on the table. Got it. Well, Brian, it was fantastic having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. And uh, congratulations again on uh, Voice Boxer and Interpreter Intelligence and happy integrating and building. Thanks, Florian. It's great talking to you as always.